Sometimes I feel like I was born in the wrong generation or maybe the wrong century because I love the old hymns. I mean, I like praise music too, and Anna does an awesome job here, but give me one of those old hymns, and I just love that. We play the hymns Pandora Station in my home. That's how much I love the hymns. Sometimes when I'm reading a scripture, like when I'm preparing for a sermon or just reading it, phrases from the old hymns will come flooding into my consciousness. That happened to me this week as I was studying John chapter 14. One of the old hymns was coming into my mind. Maybe you know it. It's standing on the promises. You know, standing, standing. That one. Let's just see how many people here know that hymn. Leon, can you get a little accompaniment? Mm, Yes. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Wow, that was amazing. Look at that. I told Nancy I was going to sing from the pulpit, and she was like, no, don't do that, don't do that. Some of you who didn't know that song, you're looking at the rest of us going, this is a weird place. (laughs) But those of you who do know that song, you know that we can stand on the promises of God. When you're in a difficult situation and you just need to remind yourself of some of the promises of God. The reason that hymn was in my mind as I was studying John chapter 14 is because Jesus gives an amazing promise in this chapter to his disciples and to us. He promises the Helper, the Holy Spirit. We're in the middle of a three-week series on the Holy Spirit, and in this text, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And along with that promise come three more promises that we're going to look at this morning. Amazing promises that, yes, we can stand on no matter what is happening in our lives. The first promise he gives in this text, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. Secondly, he says, I will make my home with you. That's an amazing promise. And then thirdly, he says, I'll give you peace. Peace I leave with you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll make my home with you and I will give you peace. Those are promises we can stand on. As I was reading about this, as I was studying it, I began to imagine in my mind, what would be the opposite of that? What if these promises weren't true? What if Jesus didn't give the Holy Spirit? What would be true of us? Well, we would be orphaned, homeless, and in a war zone, right? He promises not to leave us as orphans to make his home with us and to give us peace. So the very opposite of those things would be like a homeless child in a war zone. And according to the Bible, that's how we are, spiritually speaking, apart from the Holy Spirit's presence. When I thought about this, when I thought about a a homeless orphan in a war zone, a troubling picture came into my mind an actual picture from history. It's a famous photograph. Maybe you know it. It's from the Vietnam War era, and they call it Napalm Girl. You know this picture? Very troubling. A nine-year-old girl running. We learn later that her whole backside, her flesh is burned from the napalm bomb that you can see exploding behind her. She's running alongside soldiers, and she's running screaming, terrified. You know this picture? 
And those of you who maybe are too young to know that picture, a more recent one that's very similar is the, of the little boy in Aleppo in Syria. Remember this one? He's, he's in a, an ambulance chair, and he's just caked in dust, probably from the debris of his own home, which had been bombed, and blood. And when we see these images, I realize these are troubling images to present to you here on a lovely Mother's Day. But when we see these images, we're so troubled, we're so moved because we look at them and we say a child should never be in that situation. We should never see a child in war. But the reason I've brought these images into our minds this morning is because the Bible is clear. Spiritually speaking, we are that child, if not for the gift of the Holy Spirit. If not for the gift of the the peace of God, the one who says that we're not orphans and he's made his home with us, spiritually speaking, sometimes emotionally speaking, that's how we are. That's how we feel. We're like that child in war. So we need the promises that Jesus lays out here in this chapter. We need these promises that we can stand on. The first one, he will not leave us as orphans. Let's look at the phrase. It's in chapter 14. If you have your, still have your Bible open, John chapter 14, verse 18. Jesus says to his disciples and to us, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, we have to understand the context of the story to understand just the, the meaningfulness of this phrase. When he says, I will not leave you as orphans, the scene in which this takes place is the Last Supper. Jesus is with his 11 disciples, not 12, because Judas has already gone off to betray him. So Jesus is with his 11 disciples at the Last Supper, and he's just announced to them that he's going away. And I would imagine that the disciples were feeling a great deal of panic in that moment. In fact, earlier in the same chapter, Jesus says to them, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you, and and you know the way to where I'm going. And in in verse 5 of this chapter, that's where Thomas says, but Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how do we know, how will we know the way? Now, this is the question that Jesus famously answers when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father but through me. The reason I say I imagine there being panic in Thomas's voice when he asks this question, Lord, we don't know where you're going, is because these men had become very attached to Jesus. Now, we don't know all that much about their lives, the disciples, before they met Jesus. We know some of them were tax collectors, some of them were fishermen. But what we generally know is that most of them didn't have lives that were going all that well. Their lives were not exactly on an upward trajectory until they found Jesus. And then they got to spend every day, every waking hour with Jesus. Can you imagine that? Being in the room with Jesus everywhere he went, learning from him. I've mentioned this before, but when I was a little kid, I loved Jesus so much that I was jealous of the people who got to be in the room with him. I wanted to be in the room with him. I remember when uh, Back to the Future came out and everybody was talking about the flux capacitor and traveling around time. And I remember somebody once said, well, where would you go if you had a time machine? And I thought, you're kidding, right? That's obvious where any of us would want to go. I want to go be where Jesus is. I remember thinking that as a little kid when that movie came out. 
I want to be in the room with him. What did our Lord's voice sound like? What did his face look like? What was it like to get a hug from our Lord? I wanted to be in the room with Jesus. And these men, these disciples of Jesus, they got that special privilege. And then here they are at the Last Supper. Jesus knows it's the Last Supper. We all know it's the Last Supper because we know what's happening. But as far as the disciples know, they're just at a Passover meal with their rabbi, with Jesus. And all of a sudden, he drops this in the conversation. Hey guys, this whole nice situation we've got going on here, it's about to end. I'm going away. I'm going to my father's house. Don't worry, I'm preparing a place for you. I imagine panic in their hearts, trouble in their hearts, which is why I imagine panic in Thomas's voice when he says, but Lord, because he had been in the room with Jesus. This is why he says, this is why he starts giving these promises when he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send someone to help you. In fact, he even goes so far as to say to them in chapter 16 that it's to your advantage that I go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit, I can send the helper. Why is it to our advantage that Jesus goes away? This is a good question for us to ask this week. I don't know if you follow the the liturgical calendar, the church calendar, but today, does anyone know what today is? Thank you. Good job, Laura. It's Ascension Sunday, where we celebrate the ascension of Jesus. He ascended back into the heavenlies. He's no longer here. We can't go on a time machine and find him. We can't travel around the world and find him. He's not here anymore. We can't be in the same room as him. He says, I'm going away, but it's better that I do so I can send the Holy Spirit. Much as I would love to be in the room with Jesus, if he was right here in the room, guess what? He couldn't be in the sanctuary of the church down the street. There's only one of him. So he sends the Holy Spirit who is ubiquitous. He's everywhere. He can be right here ministering to you and to me, and he can be over in one of those villages that we're going to hopefully send water to, ministering to one of those children right now. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere. It's to our advantage that Jesus goes away and sends the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. This is the first promise that we see in this text that we can stand on. We're not orphans. And not only that, the second promise is even more meaningful. He says, I'll make my home with you. The Father and I, we will make our home with you. Let's read about that in verse 23. Jesus is continuing his discourse to his disciples. And he says this in verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him or her and make our home with him or her. You see this promise, this amazing promise? It's actually the full company of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because the Helper is coming, because the Holy Spirit is coming, accompanied with him is the Father and the Son making their home with us. This is a beautiful promise, and it's way better. I want us to understand exactly what this promise is. This is way better than if Jesus said, I'll give you a house. You see the difference? I'll make my home with you. There's a difference between having a house and having a home that has the full company of the Trinity dwelling in it. Jesus could have given away houses, I suppose, if he wanted to. He has all the resources in the world. It could have been like, 
Oprah Winfrey's big giveaway, you get a house, and you get a house, and you get a house. Doesn't it, nobody remember that episode? You get a car, you get a car? Okay, good. He says, we will make our home with you. Some of you know the difference between a house and a home. I know the difference. I know how it feels. I know when there's love. I know when there's the Holy Spirit, when there's harmony, when there's shalom. Inside a house, it becomes a home. It becomes a dwelling place. On the other hand, if there's been argument, if there's been coldness, if there's been tension, you know, Mother's Day and Father's Day are kind of hard, aren't they? There's all this expectation. There's all this complication with our earthly mothers and fathers. Maybe some of you had fights or tension in your home this morning even. I have the blessing of having pretty uncomplicated relationship with my parents, but I know that I'm rare. I know a lot of people, they have tension in their, their homes. And with the promise here that Jesus gives is that he will make his home with us, no matter what our home atmosphere looks like. He's there with us. Let's look at it a little bit further in verses 25 and 26 to see exactly what this promise entails. He says this, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The picture I have in my mind with this part of the promise of the Holy Spirit being active and present in this home that God is going to create when he makes his home with us, he will teach you all things. I picture an active and a present father or mother sitting down with child, teaching how things work in the world. This is not an absentee father. This is a present and active father. Look at how present he is. He will teach you all things. This is the Holy Spirit making his home with us. You know, some of us have a view of God like, like this image I see on, on Instagram quite often and Facebook where it, they're really cute, right? It's like usually like a little toddler who's peering out the front door window waiting for daddy to come home. I just saw one, I think, yesterday from someone in the church, a little diapered toddler looking out, waiting for daddy to come home from a business trip. And when Jesus said, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you, I think the disciples might have had that feeling in their heart. You're going away? And they began looking out the window of their souls saying, when are you going to come back, daddy? I long for you to come home. Some of us might have a view of God that way. Jesus is going to come back one day, so here we stand on the front door of our homes, longingly waiting for him to return not realizing this promise that Jesus gives. We will make our home with you even now. Yes, he's gone away to prepare a place for us, but he has made his home with us now. He's an active and engaged and present father even now. This is a promise we can stand on. Does anyone here need this in your heart? Does anyone here need this in your home, in your house? You can have the nicest house with all the nicest things artwork, cars. But if it doesn't have the presence of the Trinity in it, it's not a home. It's not a home. It's cold. We need to stand on the promise of God that he will make his home with us. I realize in talking about this, I realize that for some of us, this is very difficult to think about because of the homes from which we come. 
Maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, man, my house, it's a war zone. It's an emotional or maybe even physical war zone. And you want a promise like this. Well, this is why the third promise Jesus gives is so important and it's so powerful and it's so meaningful to us. He promises not just to make his home with us, but to give us peace. If your home feels at all like a war zone, consider this third promise that we can stand on. He says this in verse 27. Let's read it together. Peace I leave with you, he says. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. In other words, I'm not going to take it away. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I think in this moment, Jesus is looking right into the hearts of his disciples who had been with him for three years. They had learned what life was like with having him in the room. Now he's announced he's going away, so he's giving them promises, and he looks right into their hearts, and he looks right into our hearts this morning. He says, I see the trouble in your heart. I see the fear in your heart, but I promise you peace. It's a promise you can stand on when you invite this promised helper, this Holy Spirit into your life, into your house, into your home. He can mend the brokenness. He can bring shalom. He can bring peace where there's war. He can bring reconciliation where there's division. He can bring warmth where there's coldness. Does anyone here long for that? You know, I, I, I brought up the, the napalm girl earlier from Vietnam, and I realize that's a troubling image to put in your minds. But here's the amazing thing about that little girl. You know, when I first saw that image, I'll never forget when I first saw it, I thought, oh man, this girl has no future. This is, is this, was this a day in her life she has no future? Well, maybe some of you know the rest of her story. Can you put this picture up here, Matt? This is her now. She was redeemed. The Holy Spirit came into her life. She had a long journey. As I mentioned, her skin was badly burned, so it took years for her body to heal. But then she was set out on a spiritual journey of healing. She began to study the various world religions, some of the local religions from Vietnam and then Buddhism. And she found herself in a library searching. And she was looking at books. She was pulling them off the shelves and finally, she pulled one book off the shelf that changed her life, the New Testament. She began reading it. Do you want to know how I know there is a Holy Spirit? This is going to amaze you, I think. In fact, this might even be the sermon right here, the Holy Spirit showing off and proving to us that he's real. I started preparing this sermon a couple of weeks ago, and I chose to use that opening image. I knew it was going to be disturbing of Napalm Girl. And I was reading this, you know, and I was, chose to, 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 to share that with you, and I told the pastors that I was going to do that. And a couple days later, Pastor Jackie sent me that article. I didn't even know the rest of that girl's story. That article was published April 20 of this year. So then I was amazed, and I thought, ooh, I want to use the rest of the story in the sermon. So I began reading the article. I hadn't even read it yet. 
And I began reading the article this past week, and I get to the point in the story where she pulls the New Testament off the shelf in the library, and you're not going to believe this. If you don't think there's a Holy Spirit, check out this detail. She's reading the New Testament, and guess what chapter of the New Testament changed her life? John chapter 14, the very chapter we're reading today. Is there a Holy Spirit? Yes. She's reading John chapter 14, and she's realizing this this Jesus was who he said he was. I'll read for you in her own words what she said about reading this chapter. I had never been exposed to this side of Jesus, she said, the wounded one, the one who bore scars. I turned over this new information in my mind as a gem in my hand, relishing the light that was cast from all sides. The more I read, the more I came to believe that he really was who he said he was, that he really had done what he said he had done, and that, listen to this, most important to me, he really would do all that he had promised in his word. She began standing on the promises, standing on the promises of God. That's what changed her life. That's what changed her life from that very troubling image of her at age nine to the healthy, whole, Christ-following person that you saw in that image a moment ago. She stood on the promises of God. And then she concludes by saying this, perhaps Jesus can make, could make sense of my pain and at last help me come to terms with my scars. You see, she was so badly wounded by the sin of this world yet she stood on the promises of God. She began to understand this Jesus who has been wounded for us, who took upon the transgressions that we all have inflicted on one another in our earthly homes, all the sin. He took it all upon himself and he bore the scars. He bore the punishment from the Father that we all deserve so that we all can be healed and he sent his Holy Spirit And he looks at all of us today, just like he has redeemed this woman from Vietnam. He looks at all of us and he sees our hearts. He says, do not be troubled. Do not be afraid. He sees the war zone that exists in some of our homes, some of our workplaces, some of our own minds, some of our memories from childhood. And he gives us these promises. He gives you these promises that you can stand on. You are not an orphan. He makes his home with you. And he gives you peace. As you go off to Mother's Day celebration or not, as you go into your week, stand on those promises. Amen.